HashiCast from HashiCorp. Welcome to HashiCast Women in Tech, where we empower you to enable change and help you to diversify your technical organization. In this series, we will bring to light the challenges women face in tech, hear limiting beliefs that are holding women back, share stories to inspire you, and give practical and actionable strategies to hire and retain technical women. I'm Sarah Polin, a field CTO and thought leader throughout Europe, Middle East, and Africa, and an outspoken advocate for women in tech and those from non-traditional backgrounds. And I'm Kelly Kitagawa, a senior solutions engineer working with our largest global customers. My mission is to enable marginalized communities to thrive in the tech space. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. Sarah and I are so excited to host our two wonderful panelists that we have on the podcast today. Our first podcast member is Emily Johnson, who works at Wells Fargo. She is an engineering manager in cybersecurity and works on shared services for enterprise teams, um, especially in terms of secrets management. She is also a parent of two, and in her very little free time, she loves to cook and is a big anime fan. Welcome, Emily. And we also have Nora Shadid, who is a senior engineering manager at the Wells Fargo company, and she drives the infrastructure as code strategy. She leads teams of site reliability and platform engineers responsible for managing Ansible and Terraform. And in her spare time, Nora volunteers in her community, where she mentors and teaches young girls to code. And also in her very little free time, she enjoys skiing, traveling, and spending time with her family. Welcome, Emily and Noor. Thanks, Kelly. Glad to be here. So um, one of the traditions that Sarah and I do is go through some rapid fire questions just to get us warmed up. Uh, Noor, tell me your proudest personal accomplishment. Um, Deciding to go back to school um, after I'd graduated a long time ago and uh, pursuing something that I'm, I'm passionate about on the side. Emily, what is your favorite publication? I like Lord of the Rings. Nice. Good one. All right, Noor, who do you go to for career advice? My mom, she knows everything that I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Emily, what is your guilty pleasure? Trader Joe's mini peanut butter cups. Ooh, dark chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, All right, Noor, are you a night owl or early riser? Pick them both. I'm an early riser and I can be a night owl. (laughs) Uh, Emily, what do you think are some tech themes to watch for? I'm biased by cybersecurity. Yes. <laughs> Nor, tell me about your favorite gadget. Oh, I have a good one for this. My smart mirror. I have a smart mirror that um, we integrated a Raspberry Pi to, and it tells me how beautiful I am. It's integrated with Alexa. It tells me to get my butt out of bed. It, it gives me all the positive vibes and energy and words that I need that I don't have when I look into the mirror. Sign me up. Where do I get one? <laughs> I'll have to build you one, Sarah. Yes, please do. Nor, what about a ritual that you live by? So this might be crazy, but I recently started to drink coffee um, within the last year. And I cannot wake up now without having a cup of coffee first thing in the morning. Like I feel like my day is disrupted and now I've, I've jumped on the bandwagon of becoming a coffee lover. 
Welcome aboard. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Now that we're warmed up, um, let's get into some of the questions. So the focus of this podcast is really on hiring and hiring for potential. So I think a good place to start would be to understand how did you both get into your technical field? Emily, you want to go first? Sure. Um, so I actually started at an entry level position within the company and worked my way to this space. Um, I did have experience with a senior leader who admitted to me later that he took a chance on hiring somebody without the particular educational aspect of the role and um, later told me that I obviously was a successful experiment for that. So that's kind of my intro into cybersecurity. And before, I'm priming this question because I know the answer, but before you worked in tech, could you tell me a little bit more about what you did before you joined tech? Yes, I I know. Everybody loves this question from me. (laughs) So yeah, before I worked in the corporate world, I tore apart transmissions. (laughs) on like automobile transmission yeah that's so cool I love that and how about you Nor? so I I also kind of stumbled into the infrastructure world I started off um, I studied computer science I um, was on the application side of software developer and leading automation teams and I had a boss that kind of said look you have the skill sets I believe to um, learn something new within the infrastructure world and help take tools like Ansible and bring them in and help drive automation within our team. And so I started to slowly learn about infrastructure and infrastructure as code. And um, when I moved over to Wells, I actually shifted from the software world all the way into the infrastructure world, supporting platforms like Ansible and Terraform and designing solutions that enable IAC. So if I hadn't had that boss that saw something and believed in me and had mm-hmm. to take a chance and learn something new, I probably would have never moved over to the infrastructure world. It's mm. so brilliant. And it highlights to me how important it is to have a sponsor within an organization who can help see potential um, and drive people forward to really make things a success and help innovate. And when they come from a different background, they see things from a different perspective and can really add to that business value. A hundred percent. And having someone that's like you said, Sarah, having someone that sees something in you that you don't see in yourself, because I would have never taken that jump if he hadn't said, I think you can do it. So it's it's crazy that one, you know, people can really drive and change your life. Absolutely. Yeah. I am completely in agreement. So if we switch that now a little bit to when you both are hiring, what does your hiring process look like? And do you hire for potential or based off of work experiences and kind of where's that threshold for you when you do? It depends, right, on the role. And for me, I'm not looking for something specific and and maps exactly to what I'm actually looking for in in my job uh, criteria when it's posted. Sometimes I'm looking based off the candidate for the potential that they can bring and and the willingness and eagerness that they show in the interview. Um, Even though they might not have the experience and they might not have done the specific role that I'm looking for, just the aptitude and the willingness that they have will make that candidate someone that I will actually consider bringing in because a lot of what we do in our day-to-day at work, sometimes you don't have the experience, but you have to learn it on the fly and learn it on the job. And so that has really shifted who I look for when I interview. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, sometimes you'll find candidates that have the exact experience that you need and and they have the criteria that you're looking for and, and they they end up being the better fit for the team. So it just kind of depends on, you know, the people that you interview and bring in. Um, it's kind of how I handle, you know, who I want for the role. Yeah, that's such a good point because um, I'll ask you this, like diving into that. If you both had to put like a ballpark percentage of 
how much do you learn on the job versus how much do you need in order to be successful? Like what percentages would you both throw out? At least 60 to 70%. Like for sure you learn on the job because within different organizations, you might know the same technologies. You're probably used providing the same services. Like for us in banking, there's other banks and competitors. But when you're in that organization, you're doing everything differently, right? And you have to learn and adjust mm-hmm. to the process, to how things get done. And so at least for me, it's at least 60 to 70% you're learning on the job. And Emily, what about you? Yeah, it's definitely, I would agree, 60 to 70% learn on the job. My area is very niche. So most of the engineers I work with, are they learn most of it on the job. We have to have a basic set of skills, obviously, for you know knowing the tools that we work with just to be able to be successful. But after that, they, they learn a lot of it on the job. Mm. So, you know, based off the, the question that Sarah asked, it sounds like you both, given that 60%, 60 to 70%, they actually learn on the job. When you're going through the hiring process and you go through that resume scanner, you're looking for some basic things. And then the rest of it is really around once they get into the interview and really understanding their uh, willingness to learn, their passion, or just maybe even their grit and their ability to be thrown into something new that they may be very uncomfortable with, it sounds like. Definitely. And I think for everyone, right, and especially in the engineering world, if you're not learning on the job, then you're probably not in the right job, right? Because change is so constant in tech that you have to be willing to learn and constantly evolve. And there are foundational aspects and skills that we're looking for that are a requirement for the success of the of the team, right? That you need in a candidate. But I think it's just making sure that they're willing to learn and grow, especially within a new organization. Mm. Yeah, that's such a good point. You know, especially for hiring managers out there, if you're listening, you know, it's a really tough job. You know, I have to say, like, it's not super easy Like not every resume you're going to get has full qualifications. And, you know, I think Emily, you mentioned this before, like a lot of the resume sifting, most people or many people don't even make the cut (laughs) for the first round. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I would say a lot of times the resumes that we do get, and we have to go through quite a few of them, Mm -hmm. they may not have like the basic skill sets that we need for the job, but it doesn't mean that they wouldn't succeed if they had the gumption to go after it and learn and continue to learn because that's a that's a good skill set to have for Mm. uh, a candidate Mm. so how do you determine where that is you Nora has just said that you know sometimes they have a role where somebody needs to be able to step into that and know the technology behind it so for you if you're looking at some of these resumes and you have a rec say that's been open for a while How do you start parsing through some of these CVs or these resumes that maybe initially wouldn't at first sight be something that, quote unquote, has the skill set or is ready to step into the role? And how do you determine if that specific person or that specific role can be open to somebody who doesn't necessarily have a specific skill set? Yeah, so mine's pretty easy. (laughs) We have have specific tools that we use and the basic knowledge of that tool is the base requirement, right? Like they have to know how to use the tool that we own and support in order to have the job. It just depends on what level, Mm. I guess, they have experience they have with that tool. Like if they're only a user of it, then it's not really a consideration for somebody to come in and be an administrator and be able to solve problems with that security tool. You know, they have to have a basic level of knowledge of that tool for this team. That makes a lot of sense. And if you're looking at when these hiring managers took quote unquote risk on you and saw the potential in both you and Nor, what do you think 
made them think that you could be successful in these roles, even if you didn't have that specific skill set? I think our passion, and and I can speak, you know, for my experience, our passion for technology, our passion for driving change and showing results for the work that we were doing was a significant reason why my manager at the time said that I would be a good fit to look into the, the opportunities that I have now. You know, I think all of us are constantly learning and on the fly with whatever job we're on, we're in. And for me, it was, I want to be able to solve problems that impact the culture of the bank or, or, or organization that I'm working in. Like I want to be able to mm. not just help myself, but I want to help others. And so I think it was more, these are the skills and these are the things that she's passionate about. So we, we can kind of find something where she can actually do this, where maybe it's lagging a little bit, right? There aren't the right people that have that drive within mm. that space. Mm. What about you, Emily? Oh, I was going to say my bright and shiny personality, probably. yeah I don't really know to be honest with you um it may have just been my experience at the time which um at the time I was working more of like a help desk kind of job to be honest and I will say that people in those roles do get to see the backbone of all the technology because they're supporting it so that could be a potential reason Mm. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, especially from the hiring perspective, I'm curious for you both. Do you feel like you guys, you both get um, a lot of candidates that have diverse backgrounds? Do you feel like you're getting a diverse slate of people applying? Where I am specifically, and I think even Emily within your space, it's a niche market and there's not a lot of people that have the background. Mm-hmm. We do get a lot, a large number of candidates that apply and and sometimes, you know, primarily for the roles that I think Emily and I have, there are a lot of the, our our interviewees and our candidates that apply are met are men, um, but that doesn't mean that that's because their role is you know they they see themselves and that they have the more experience. It's just I don't think there's enough effort um, kind of educating people on what we do and making sure that the right skill sets are out there and people know what skills you need to be in the market for what we do um, in our in our fields. Yeah, I mean for you both as well, if you had like a magic wand and you could solve, you know, the pipeline problem. What do you wish candidates or or the industry had, or do you feel like, you know, we're reaching the right amount of people early enough in their careers, or maybe even at the elementary school level, what do you wish that we had more of in order to, you know, have a more diverse set of people applying? I think as tech changes, the curriculums and universities need to adapt and change at the same pace. Because right now, I think most universities, the primary focus, especially within computer science, is software development and then a few classes that teach you the niche things that are out in the market, but not enough that actually enable and educate engineers and students that these are the things that you really need to know if you're interested in the cloud per se, right? Or whatever skill set that they might want to look into, they need to know what it is and how to get it and what it's going. how do you apply it in the real world. Yeah, more industry connection to the education pipeline in terms of companies getting the skill sets that they need and working with universities. I know that like we talked about this before about the cloud training, right? And uh, how much of for us when I was in engineering school, you know, they didn't have cloud, but in terms of working on industry examples or industry similar problems versus the backend OS <laughs> infrastructure layers and, and things about uh, those kinds of uh, levels, like it would be awesome to have a little bit more connection to industry. I would definitely agree with that because typically in this space that I work in, which is credential management, it's rolled in with a bunch of other security topics. It, and it's really a large topic 
And mm. it's very extensive and very complex, but it's not something that's typically focused on. In general, people tend to fall into that type of role supporting something else. Mm. Mm. And in the interview process, right? So we talk about like the the funnel. So it's about getting the resumes um, and then it's about the candidates once they're in. Do you both have any hiring tips um, or inclusive hiring tips that's helpful for you when you have candidates applying? So once they're already in? Um, I would say how you structure your answers is incredibly important. Mm. Make sure that when you are explaining something that you've done, explain it and then also explain the outcome yeah. of that. Because I typically see a lot of candidates where they'll say, you know, I had experience doing this and this is what I did. And then um, they don't really say, well, what problem did you solve? I usually have to ask them, <laughs> well, how did that turn out for you? You know, was it successful? Because it's okay to admit that if something didn't work out or it wasn't successful, it's just like science, right? You, you do an experiment, you might fail 90 times before you succeed. <laughs> so it's okay. <laughs> And to add to that, I see two things, right? Depending on if you're the interviewee and adding to what Emily said, if you don't know something, say, be honest, just say you don't know and just elaborate what you would do. I think being truthful and making sure that it's, we know exactly what you know and don't know makes a huge difference. Because if you say you know something and we ask you about a follow-up question and, and you don't, you know, and you don't answer it based off what you said you knew, it's problematic, I think, for most people that are interviewing candidates. Mm -hmm. And then from the interview panel or the people that are hiring for candidates, I encourage you to think about having the right people do the interviews and the right people asking the questions, bring in people that might not be on the team that you think would be valuable and give you a different perspective based off the work that their other people at the bank or organization are doing. I think it's really important to to make sure you have a diverse panel of people asking the questions um, and different kind of personalities and different skill sets were brought to that table so that they can help find that great candidate. I love that. And, you know, being able to, like for me, when I joined HashiCorp, um, I really wanted to speak to a woman who worked at the company <laughs> or at least have an opportunity to talk to someone that looks like me in some set so that I would feel more comfortable and be able to ask kind of like, okay, what's it really like there? Like, how is the culture, you know, and, and them giving me the opportunity to have that, it made me feel like the company was very transparent and they had nothing to hide. And there weren't any skeletons in the closet that I, <laughs> <laughs> I should know about as well. So I love the diverse panel question as well, because I think it may, really makes an impact on candidates. I don't know if I would have, if they were like, sorry, we don't have any women in solutions engineering that exist. I would kind of think it's a red flag. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. And I think too, that, and what I'm finding even at this stage of the game is that representation matters and it it's yeah. important to know that you can progress. And even if it's just a subconscious thing, that's like, okay, there are women in leadership or there's somebody yeah. who's like me within this organization, for me personally, it gives me hope that, you know, there will be advancements and I will be encouraged to go ahead and, and grow my career and grow as an individual within the organization. So I really love that you invoke that. Definitely. Yeah. It makes such a difference, right? And I think the representation really does matter. Sarah, totally agree. All right. Last question, because we only have a few minutes left. This one I think comes up a lot, especially after COVID. How do you both feel when you see a gap in a resume or a candidate that has like a year missing or six months missing? Does that matter? Or if you have 
children, do you feel like that perspective has changed since you've been a hiring manager? I'm curious your thoughts. So for me, I if I see someone that has a gap, I, I, it does not impact my decision on whether I think they would be a good candidate or not. Life happens, right? And I always tell my team's family first because you don't know what that person's going through. You don't know why they took the time off. Some people, some women actually specifically with women, some women will take off to grow their families and they shouldn't be faulted for that, right? And there's actually programs now, which I'm really happy to see. Um, and Wells Fargo actually has a program specifically where depending on how many years or how many months you're out of um, you're out of the industry, they have programs to bring people back in because they don't want you to be impacted because you had to take time off for those personal reasons. And I, I mean, that. it should not matter, right? It's, it's what kind of... Per- engineer, what kind of talent you can bring to the table is what's more important versus how much time you took off. And my perspective, probably definitely I have more empathy after having children, <laughs> but for, for my gap perspective, it depends on how long the gap is. Cause if you're disconnected from the technology for too long and you haven't kept up on your craft, then there's a, a little bit of a concern there. It depends on where I'm at and what skills gaps I need to fill as well mm. on whether or not we want to refresh the skills. If you're a good enough candidate type of a thing, but typically if it's a, if it's a small gap, I don't even blink at it. It's, as long as they bring the skills to the table that I need. I do like that you evoke the the kids and the family. I think sometimes I was a little callous, especially before I had kids and understanding how much goes into balancing a family and making sure that things are running on time. I mean, even today for this podcast, I was late because I got called to school to pick up a kid and then on my way home, metros were canceled and life happens. And I think it's amazing that as leaders, you're willing to recognize that and say, yeah, take the time, reboot, and then come back. And I think ultimately that also drives people to want to join your team and helps also with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, If you want to call it a pipeline problem or whatever it may be, um, but to really have people invested in what you do and deliver as well. Yeah. And that, that comes from the leadership perspective. Like, I love what you said, Nor, which is like family first. It's like, why are we in this job if we don't have other things that matter to us, right? Like people need to realize that work is work and it's really important, but there are other things <laughs> that are more mm-hmm. important. They don't want to say it, but I think having someone in a leadership pr- perspective say something like that, that is also like goes from the top down and you would be someone that I would want to work for, especially both of you. <laughs> if you're like, okay, thank you. This person gets it. That like, there is a life outside of work. <laughs> Definitely. Well, Um, Thank you both so much. I've taken a lot away from the conversation, especially in terms of, you know, the hiring for potential based off of current work experience. You know, you both saying 60 to 70% of what you learn on the job, I think is really encouraging. And I hope that, you know, those of you out there who want to apply for jobs, don't be afraid to apply. Just be ready to speak to, you know, your relevant experience. Like Emily, you talked about like the way that you phrase questions, excuse me, phrase your answers and make sure that you understand the impact you had. And then, you know, we all unanimously agreed as well that having a diverse panel makes a difference. Representation matters. So thank you both so much for joining Sarah and I in this conversation. Um, We hope you have a wonderful day and we were so honored to have you here with us. Thank you. It was great connecting, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you. HashiCast from HashiCorp. Get the latest episodes automatically in your favorite podcast app. Just click follow or subscribe and find out more at HashiCorp.com. Hold up. 